to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. Buenos dias. And Larry Correa. Hi. Today's episode, World Telling. You can always tell when I forgot to think of something cool. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Writer Dojo. Super glad to have everyone back listening with us. And today, we're back because... We left you on a cliffhanger. We did it. We did it like a like a '90s TV show. We said to be continued with all the reverb. So uh, we're back again. Our uh, our good friend Dave Butler's back with us. Say hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. There we go. All right, Dave. In the last episode, at the very tail end of it, we started going down a little bit of a rabbit hole, mm-hmm. and one of the phrases that you brought up that I found super fascinating was was your use of the phrase world telling. Yeah. So we were talking kind of about your ability to take historical elements, you know, your your loves of 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 research. For you you have tons of a lot of history, a lot of love of history and stuff. But every everybody has that thing, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's for me it's cop stuff, Larry mm-hmm. it's guns and noir and B-movie monsters and all sorts of stuff, right? Yep. We all have the thing that we love. We all have the thing that we that we research, maybe perhaps a slight bit too obsessively. Yeah. So, bringing that into your world. But what we were talking about was um, your specific ability, in order to you know, you're very good at bringing that stuff in, but not boring the f out of the reader. Yeah. Right. And you said, it and. Forgive me if I if I don't quote this exactly, but you said something to the effect of, we need to stop telling people to world build. Mm. We need them to be world tellers or mm. or something along those lines. Yeah. If, if, if we want them to actually to succeed. Okay. Yeah. Now, now, why is that? Why is that? What, why is it that the delineation between world building and world telling you think can lend to success? Well, I think, first of all, once you start down the road of complete world building, um, it's a bottomless pit. And you can find that it is fun in and of itself. Okay. Okay. And and then you can – look, in writing, Jeff Bezos' 20th anniversary letter to shareholders about Amazon's culture in their annual report. This is 2015 or something. Mm-hmm. He wrote this lengthy letter uh, – talking about Amazon's culture. And I'm not saying I'm like super Bezos fan or whatever, but this is an interesting letter to read. And one of the things he says is, uh, we at Amazon have a bias for action. We think that if we wait until we have 90% of the information that we need, that that the opportunity is gone. We waited too long. So we try to act and we have 70% of the information we need. And one of the things we believe is that we can usually back up and fix our mistakes. Right? Okay. I think a writer should have a bias for writing. Okay. If you if you have a bias for doing the writing, above all else, you will write. Okay. And I think if you wait until you have 90% of the world building you want done, you will discover that you, in fact, never write the book. So uh, that's not to say I don't do world building. Um, I do. Uh, if you go back and look, you know, my in my folder on my hard drive for my witchy war stuff. I started with word files and I just started dumping in things into these word files that still exist as kind of scratch notes. Um, but there's a hell of, oh, there's a lot less, 
There's hell, a heck hell, of a hell lot. Is, uh, there's hell a is, hell. I hell can say hell. hell Thanks. Is, it's a place. YouTube. Uh, there's a hell of a lot less of that than there is of book. Yeah. Right? Um, like, there might be 30 pages or something. And there are, at present, uh, 850,000 words of published novel. Right? How, how long are your books on the, average, That series, the, the shortest, is 205,000 words. Ugh. That's a pretty chunky book. So they're solid. Yeah. yeah. Um, you could totally kill a dude with it. You could totally kill a dude with it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've killed men with half that size book. I, I think if, if you force a novella down someone's throat, that would probably kill them too. But. It's all about the velocity. I mean, that's <laughs> what my victim said. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you bring this up, Dave, as far yeah. as the – because we've actually had previous episodes on world building. And uh, one of the things that spurred that episode was because we have people ask us questions of, you know, when have I researched too much? No. When have I spent too much time world building? And uh, the answer that, that we gave last time basically was, is it keeping you from writing? Yeah. Um, you should be writing. And because and, world building doesn't really pay the bills. Yeah. And we would get these people who was like, well, you know, I've been world building and plotting and outlining. Outlining is oh, the same man. kind of thing. Yep. I've been outlining for six years, and I'm almost ready to start the book. <laughs> so, so yeah. after, I think it might have been Reno. I think it might have been the Reno con that that we all kind of kind of sort of met each other at more or less. I believe it was at that con. I met some random dude, couldn't tell you his name, but um, this was in ye olden days when I was a bookstore guy, um, uh, and I was still editing and reading for people and stuff that I, mm. that I you know, I don't do now because I should be writing. Um, so this guy, I, ended, I I met this guy through some, it was at some panel or something like that, and he was telling me about how he he had all this big giant science fiction universe, and he, and he wanted to send mm. me like the first chunk of his novel. Yeah. And at that time, I was like, yeah, sure, why not? So he sends me this this thing after the con. He sends me this packet. I mean, it, it was probably 300 pages worth mm. of stuff. And I open it, and I'm thinking, okay, well, here we go. Let's see what the novel looks like. None of it was a novel. Yeah. Not a single page of it was the novel. Oh. It was literally 300 pages of universe building for a science fiction series. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't think I ever emailed that guy back yeah. and talked with him again because I'm like, oh, okay. Like, like all the time he spent on this, he could have been actually writing the kick-butt novel, right? Well, he wrote 300 yeah. pages. He That's literally a could write like, a novel. The dude, the dude can literally, I mean, obviously he can, he can put words on page, right? Right. Right. Um, and and so to your point, Dave, like, you know, a, what you know, somewhere somewhere close to a million words of published fiction, yeah, and, you know, maybe thirty pages of something like of that. world of world buildingness, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so so one, you'll re, you'll world build instead of writing the novel. I think there's a second. I think there's a second and a third issue. I, I think the second issue is. Um, if you are world building separately from a novel, there is a very big risk that you're you're doing it wrong. So um, here's why: for storytelling purposes, your world has to be in imbalance. It must be broken. There must be something wrong with it, for okay? the sake of conflict. Because that's why you need a hero, mm -hmm. right? The nature of the uh, the hero's journey is that there is something wrong. Now, for some stories, maybe it's something small and personal, 
there's nothing wrong on the village level or in my family. But for fantasy novels and sci-fi, usually it's a bigger issue. Mm-hmm. There's something that is that is broken with the system. Now, to be clear, for, for the listeners out there, I mean, this could be anything from, you know, Big Dark Lord, like we've talked right. about before. Sauron. Or... Right. Um, you know, you, you mentioned you mentioned in a previous episode your 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 father being an economist. Yeah. We could be talking about, you know, global or galaxy spanning economic reasons. The star of our company is set up to be intrinsically corrupt. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So so for your story, you need a world that is out of balance. But it's very easy if you're speaking of a place. And you're imagining it like a place where one might have D&D adventures or whatever to mm-hmm. create a world that is fundamentally static. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of sto- uh, world building away from the story may actually be building a world that's not very useful for your story. Uh. And I think the third problem is is exactly what you've already uh, articulated in the form of a little parable, which is, look, once you have created your 300 pages of backstory, oh, you've you got to tell the reader. It's so exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. and there's very, very few of us that can get away with dumping that much. And I always say, because there's no hard and fast rules here, because there's David Weber. And there's Dan Simmons. And Dan Simmons. So there are guys that do that level of world building and then tell it all. Sure. Well, actually, I imagine David probably only told 10%, knowing David. Well, um, in, all three still... bo- in all three board meetings. Yeah. <laughs> we love David we Weber. We love David Weber. We're, yeah. we're both David Weber friends. But no, um, honestly, what's going to happen is the, the people build this world and they feel the need to tell it. And... One of the best examples I've given um, is I, as the author, might know what it is, but I do not necessarily need to tell that to the reader to bore the crap out of them. Yeah. For example, Son of the Black Sword, um, that series, I was on a panel once with Lee Modisette, and Lee Modisette is a, as a former economist. Sure. Great guy. And Lee was saying, you know, I've never read a f- fantasy world that had fractional reserve banking in it. And I, I, I immediately like leapt up and raised my hand. I was like, I have Lee. <laughs> but here's the thing. The fact that the, the fact that the government in Son of the Black Sword has a banker uh, subcast of the worker cast, and that's who prints. And they actually, I have, cause I have paper money in the series. And uh, just because I know how the economics of how the banker cast works, that's never actually yeah. in the books. I mean, there's there's uh, oblique references to the economy, right. but I'm writing from the perspective of a master swordsman, Judge Dredd, yep. kicking butt across the land, right? Yeah. He doesn't yeah. care about fractional reserves. No, he just takes what he wants. He doesn't even understand money. Yeah. It's yeah. just a thing. Well, and, and Larry and I, I know Larry and I have talked, we, we've talked about this before, and that's the concept of when you're, when you are storytelling, um, you're, you're telling it from the perspective of a character. And you're trying to tell whatever the scene is from the perspective of the character who, you know, where it's the most interesting tell, right? Mm. You know, and it's it, the, the pet peeve that I always bring up is um, in, in a lot of epic fantasy specifically, everyone is, all, is somehow noticing like either all of the food everywhere or all of the architecture everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Not everybody cares about architecture. Right. Now, in your, in your new science fiction novel that just came out, your main character is an accountant. Abbott and Darkness in stores now. Yeah. Correct. Thank you. So so in that story specifically, it seems to me that um that is it is it in first person or third person? Um it's third person, but it's it's a hundred percent with the one character and okay. it's close on him. Okay, time. so that's interesting. That's you know, for, for those of you who yeah. who care about that out there. Um so in in that situation, you know, the ideas of of auditing and accounting and economics 
and and trading and stuff, I imagine have to be fairly prevalent. Oh yeah, yep. And so that's all appropriate. However, like you've said before, with the uh, Sorian, is that what it is? The, uh, of the the company that he's oh part sorry of? the Saravar the Saravar sorry yeah, yeah. the Saravar company, um, you've stated inherently corrupt. Yep. Right. And so again, that leads back to your earlier thing. It is that company, and therefore the universe that it's a part of, is completely out of balance. Oh. So I, I, I find this all really interesting. Um, oh. So how do you determine if and when you've gone too far, Dave? So, so I would say um, if, you're, if you are writing a story, I, I, I would expect to do some world building. But I would set myself a timer. I would say, okay, I'm going to do this for a week. I have a bias toward writing. There's no book until I start writing, produce 400 pages in a row, and then type the end at the back. So that's the thing I must do. So I'm going to do uh, world building for a week. And for a week, uh, I'm going to sit there and write. I'm not going to worry about whether it's, strictly speaking, 100% consistent. There may be people have different schemes, you know, lists of try to cover all of these topics or whatever. When I did my world building for um, uh, in the Palace of Shadow and Joy, I, I got a Moleskine notebook and every day I filled two sides of one page with something. I would say crime families of Kish, two pages, coinage in Kish, you know, trade wins in Kish, just random things. So I would do that for a short period of time. Like okay. a week, a week, maybe two, if it's a big epic fantasy novel. And if you feel like you still have world building to do, fine, but you have to do your pages first. Okay. So whatever that is, your 2,000 words, your 10,000 words, okay, your two pages, you do that. And then, okay, now I need to go back and do some more work on the world building. I think you have to limit yourself or it is potentially a bottomless pit. Yeah, especially with your your being a history nut, I imagine it's pretty easy to fall in that trap. I've done that myself, where I get on like the research spiral. Yeah. And by the time, like, so when I did Grim Noir, so it's set in the 1930s, and so I remember when I started oh, yeah. out, I brought home this stack of history books from the library, like about you know two feet tall, and uh, I just started reading, yeah. and I would just read random selections of history, and it would spiral, and it would go from one thing to another to another. It's kind of like now you have the endless wiki spiral. Yeah. Where you like. Go looking for some particular topic. Like when I'm writing Monster Hunter, there's so much folklore, so much monster stuff, so much history that I, I steal. And uh, and so I'll just go on these endless wiki spirals, and it's a trap. Yep. It's also gold in that I come with great ideas that may or may not work for that particular book. Sure. Uh, one thing we mentioned in the last episode a little bit was on this desire to over-reveal all your world building, all mm-hmm. the cool ideas you have in your head. I think we're also kind of depriving ourselves of future sequel opportunities where you can get into those other parts of the world mm-hmm. and have new adventures yep. and see new exciting things. Yep. So it's, yeah. it's a tricky, it's kind of a tricky little card game that we play. Yeah. You know, of, of how far is too far. And I think it's going to depend a lot on your personality. Because uh, I know a lot of writers that like they hate that research part mm. and they just want to plow. They just want to plow ahead. And then you got guys that are more, you know, as nerds, and we're <laughs> going to be like, oh, or I'm sure you you basically taught yourself pigeon Egyptian. Yep. Yeah. See, exactly. Of course you have. Yeah. Of course you have. There are books. <laughs> you know, some of this, some of the, some of this research stuff is fun. Like I own pretty much every gun that shows up in Monster Hunter. Yeah. I mean, so there are some. Twice. There are some, 
<laughs> my son actually watched the horrible movie Morbius last night. Oh, oh, and right. he was, he's, him and his buddy were the only ones in the theater. But he sent me a text at like like midnight and he's like, he's like, Dad, I think we own every single gun that appears in this film. <laughs> uh, on that shocking revelation, I think we are up for our break. All right, yeah, we'll be right back. John Abbott has a new job, a young family, and a mountain of debt. A six-month interstellar journey to Sarovar's system was a big bet requiring total commitment, but the payoff can be huge. Sarovar company traders can trade for their own account, buying the famous Samari weave on planet and shipping it back to Earth so company traders get rich. But John immediately gets assigned to investigate corruption. Someone at a remote frontier station called Arrowhawk has been skimming from the till. As he digs into the crime, the criminals start to threaten him, and then his family and then all of Arrowhawk Post. Can John Abbott stop the criminals? Can he work for the company without losing his soul? Can he and his young family even survive? Never underestimate a man who's all in. Abbott in Darkness, new fiction from DJ Butler. Available at Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Pick up your copy today. All right, welcome back everybody. Now, as we've, hopefully y'all have been enjoying the discussion about, you know, world building, or I guess as we'll refer to it for the rest of the episode, world telling uh, with our with our buddy Dave Butler here. Look, y- y'all have heard Larry and I talk about this a whole bunch at this point. And, and we, you know, I mean, hey, no one's ever accused us of talking too little. Um, but I, I think it'd be very beneficial at this stage to get the different perspective. And so, and I mean, and that, heck, that's part of the reason why, you know, why, why we're, we're starting to bring in, um, you know, guest stars and stuff with us. So Dave, I, I believe you mentioned in a previous episode that Abbott and Darkness was your 11th, um, traditionally published novel. Yes. And I believe you said your 15th published novel overall. Yep. Okay. 15 books. This means you've done, you know, you've. You've told a few stories in worlds. You've you've built a few worlds. You've done the thing. Yep. So for our for our listeners out there, many many many, the vast majority of which um, are are trying to to get over that hump and and get their story told. I I think it'd be beneficial to hear some some tips and tricks from you. Yeah. Um, I will give some. Um, and and some of these may be controversial. So uh, we'll see how this goes over. That's fine. And, and Larry just told us he owns every gun in Morbius, so um, that's okay. Fortunately, he's a really nice guy. Well, but unlike Jared Leto, I don't have a cult. Oh, there we so, go. To be Perfect. fair, I mean, really, I'm kind of slacking. <laughs> to be fair. So um, okay, so look, here's the first thing I would say, um, and and I'm going to sort of partly echo a quote from Stephen King in his book on writing, which is like every book every writer has written on writing, on the subject of writing. There's some good advice in there, and you got to take it with a grain of salt. He says things he doesn't himself do. Or, you clearly. know, a grain of cocaine, whatever. Or, yeah. We, 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 we've had some fun with that book. Yeah. <laughs> so he says uh, something like, if you, if you don't have the time to be reading, you don't have the basic tools to do the job. Now, with caveats, I think that's true. So, so first of all, I would say, uh, if you really want to uh, convince people that your story is happening in a real world, you have to know a lot about real world. And I think uh, I think you should you should assume that means you should be reading a lot. 
And I, and um, uh, and what I mean is you should read anthropology and politics and philosophy and history. You should read things that expand your understanding of the real world. Nothing can come out of you that you didn't put in there first. And most of us don't have enough biography to generate epic fantasy novels or, you know, space opera or whatever. This is where I write, This is why I write about murder. Yeah. Well, someone with a shallow knows. worldview, with someone with a shallow understanding of our world, how can we expect them to come up with a realistic or believable, plausible, yes. imaginary world? Right. Uh, yeah. There's a, I think it's Fred Saberhagen or somebody has a fantastic quote, and I forget who said it, but he said, the, the advice that to only write what you know uh, is why we have so many uh, novels about English professors contemplating adultery. Um, <laughs> Which is, which is, I think, uh, perfect. Uh, so so w- with my exhortation that you should be reading about the real world, let me say something to liberate you. I think people will tell you you have to read everything in your space, and I think that is nonsense. Uh, I don't think you have to have read Harry Potter to write a children's fantasy novel. I don't think you have to have read whatever, The Wheel of Time or Game of Thrones or an epic fantasy novel. In fact, I think the more of that you read, the, the more you're at risk of just regurgitating somebody else's mm-hmm. book. Yeah. I, I would, I would. in fact, you're more likely to produce original stuff if you read, like, The Decameron or, uh, you know, uh, Arabian Nights uh, and accidentally re- regurgitate that than if you're accidentally regurgitating Name of the Wind. So read a lot. And let's not do that. Yeah. But I wouldn't worry about reading in your space. I actually, we've talked about this in the show, I actually never, I almost never read anything from the genres I work in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, honestly, because the biggest thing is my brain goes into edit mode and it's not fun. Yep. I understand that. Um, so that. So that's one thing. Now, um, I'm going to give some other tips. They don't add up to a full... Um, like a full comprehensive approach, uh, that is just life. This you, tool, you have to figure it out. But here's some ideas. tools in a toolbox. Yeah. So here, here's 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 another idea. Okay. Um, I think we have a temptation when we are world building to write objective facts in our world. In the year twelve, Sir Mordley Crumblebum and his paladins destroyed the temple. In the year thirteen, that kind of thing. Crumblebum, that bastard. As paladins, man, they're all like that. So. Uh, the problem is, in the real world, not only do we all have different interpretations of underlying facts, and if you if if that sounds strange, just ask yourself, what does January sixth mean? Okay, people, in fact, people not only have radically different understandings of the meaning of whatever happened on that day, they have radically different understandings of what happened on that day. Yep. Okay. So, uh, and if you're not aware of that, you may be living in some kind of bubble. I mean, people can't even agree on freaking pizza toppings. So, right. well, people don't agree on the facts. So, in our world, uh, there are a lot fewer objective facts than you might think. So, I would say don't worry about world building objective facts. World build somebody's perspective and world build different perspectives. Uh, certain people say this, other people believe a different thing. Well, that crumble bum was a fraud. We all know that. Yeah, obviously. Actually, yeah. Paladins are corrupt. I mean, we yeah. all know this. It's actually yeah. a rogue. Should defund yeah. all the defund De- all paladins. Defrock paladin. I never saw him cast a cleric spell. Defund the paladins. Yep. So um, rogue lives matter. Rogue lives matter. So uh, so here's a third tip. A, 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 a great way to do 
just that is when you're world building, um, think in terms of in-world documents. So rather than okay. saying, here's a list of stuff that happened, go, here is a wanted poster. Uh, here is a ballad. Uh, here is a fragmentary, uh, you know, journal of an explorer. That was the cheat that I used for world building in the Grimnor Chronicles. Yeah. With your, hard magic, I started every chapter bumps. I started every chapter with a chapter bump that was a made-up, fabricated historical document, or quote, or poem, or folk song, or mm-hmm. newspaper clipping. Uh, many of them were based on real life, but twisted for this world. Yep. And it was actually I got a lot of mileage out of that for very little word count. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, use use in, use in-world documents. I think those are very. Uh, um, a, they're more entertaining usually than just having your point of view character think some background. Ah, oh, that had been seventeen years earlier when Crumblebum and his retainers, whatever. Right. You've you've read the uh, David Weber orders pizza, right? Have you? Ever... No, I don't think I have. It's legend. It's so somebody did a, a little skit. I have no idea who wrote this, but it's so funny and it's uh, David Weber, Weber orders a pizza and is like seventeen pages long because it has to go into like. The history of pizza and how money works, and he calls on the telephone. He gets like the socioeconomics of America. Of the telephone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I where the telephone comes from, and then the delivery driver, and they have the 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 exchange, and at every point they like stop to explain everything involved, and it's just David Weber ordering like a pepperoni pizza. That's awesome. <laughs> so I guess it's going to depend partially on your audience too. <laughs> um, yeah, but there's a uh, so there's a piece of meta advice right here. Uh, oh, oh, hanging over everything every writer ever tells you, okay, which is whatever works works, yeah. right? Uh, whatever technique produces a completed novel that finds readers, like that's it. It yep. worked, right? Mm-hmm. And so we can only say here's what worked for me. Here's what I think works generally. Here's what works f- for me as a reader. And if you do something different, then God bless you, right? That's And it works, great. Yeah. Uh, and if you're it's not working, then listen to what we suggest and think about whether maybe what we're saying might work instead. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because there's not really a right way or a wrong way to do this. We've talked about the show a lot of times. Beware anybody who's, like, teaching, you know, creative writing who gives you, like, a commandment. Yeah. yeah. You always have to do this. This is the only way to do that. They're full of crap because, for any example, we find there's somebody who goes exactly the opposite in their world building. Yeah. I mean, we've got guys that will do the meticulous, basically, they have the the guidebook of their universe. But, you know, if that works sure. for them and they get the book done and they get the products out, then sure. by all means, that works. Sure. Yeah, I'm never going to knock a guy who happened to write the Silmarillion, yeah. you know. But sure. all and, of his books tend to be the best sellers on the planet, right? And you made know, up like, Elvish. I'm just like, well... Yeah. It I mean, you're better than I am. You know, yeah. there's a lot of things, too. And, it, and it, a lot of this, what we do is sleight of hands, like tricks and illusions. People, that, they don't actually know how much we do and do not know about our worlds. Oh, yeah. You guys ever get where somebody has read your book and then they contact you and you're like, so what's the story with such and such? Yes. Yeah. Just some little thing you had on the side. My, yes. my dad, we were talking before the show. My dad literally did that to me after he finished Servants of War. He started asking me about all of these random things, and and part of it, I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we we totally we know exactly oh, yeah. where that came from." And yeah. in my head, I'm like, "I better write this down." We have that totally <laughs> planned out. No, you fake it till you make it. It's honestly kind of a sleight of hand thing. We just have to show enough of the world 
that it's plausible and believable from that character's point of view. And that's another trick too, is I like to switch character point of view, depending on what part of the story I'm trying to tell. Mm-hmm. Cause like Steve mentioned, like, like every single, well, a bad writer, every single character notices the food or the architecture, depending uh, on what the art, yeah. what the author right. knows about. I walk into a scene and I detect all five senses. I see, I hear, I smell, I taste something. I, mm-hmm. what's that sense? Oh, I feel, I feel the texture of the building. Come on, stop doing that. <laughs> like no one actually, no one actually does that. that. Well, I'm pretty sure. Is somewhere. Pretty sure that building didn't consent to that being touched. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a whole other there's a whole other discussion here, right? Which is point of view is basically a tunnel. You're like in somebody's tunnel. Whatever that person is is focused on, like that is what is coming in through your point of view pipe. Well, sorry. When I write sci-fi, I never ever ever write sci-fi through the perspective of somebody who actually will have to know orbital physics. Yeah. There you go. You exactly know? right. I'm I'm writing the dude that like I don't know. It's it's like it's yeah, like the, the insurance the, agent. I can I can write it. Yeah, the insurance agent. I can write a guy who can drive a race car. I can't tell you how an internal combustion engine works. Right. So I'm going to go for that point of view of a guy who drives good. He doesn't right. know how it goes. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so maybe a few more tips. So, uh, so rather than describe everything, mm-hmm. um, I mean, maybe, maybe once in a while there's something that's so important that you really want to get it out. Well, of course. Um, I think, I think what you want are, uh, resonant, you want details, first of all. So there's, there's an old bit of country music songwriting wisdom. Okay. Okay. Which is you access the universal by focusing on the particular. What do I mean by that? Well, the song doesn't go like this. I woke up and I was sad. No, it goes, I woke up and my girlfriend had left. And not only did she steal my truck, but she drove over the dog on the way out. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And all it's all that detail. It's like the spot of ketchup on the white shirt on the 4th of July that comes up in the song lyric. It's that stuff that makes you go, ah, oh, yeah, the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, I sure would miss my dog. Right. It's the detail. So, so uh, you're trying to find um, cultural touchstones. Yeah. Really touchstones that ideally resonate with your reader. Right. So one of the one of the great things about writing the Witchy War, which is which is historical American epic fantasy, it's an epic fantasy set in kind of eighteen fifteen America, um, but not quite America. How how not quite America? Well, there's an there's an elective emperor, and uh, you know the Penn family landholder is the emperor, uh, and Andrew Jackson is dead in an iron cage hanging over the Place d'Armes in New Orleans for having tried to make himself the king of the Mississippi River. So uh, uh, so pretty different. Um, also, there's like wizards and stuff. So, but but the beauty of writing in that made up setting is that that especially for American readers. There's a huge amount of stuff that I can just put a word or two words and and it and there's resonance, right? Mm-hmm. People have an experience of what the mounds are. If I refer to the mound builders like that opens up uh, stories. If I talk about, you know, this character is believed to have been the one who assassinated George Washington, right? Like all kinds of resonant. You get a, a visceral detail. reaction just to hearing that. A reaction, mm-hmm. yeah. There's a feeling. That's right. And and also ideas. Oh, George Washington is is dead. What the Pontiac Revolt? And and they start imagining for themselves 
uh, stuff. Now that's easier. This is the beauty of writing in a in a setting that is close to the historical world, right? As opposed to like really far future sci-fi or, or completely made up fantasy world. Yeah, yeah completely made up fantasy world. Yeah. So the more alien it is, the less you're going to be able to get those touchstones. Right. Those cultural and historical touchstones. Well, because they're so contextual, right? This is candidly why I stopped reading a certain book that had lots of axe buds and rock hounds in it. And I got halfway through like, I don't know what any of this crap is. I'm done. Because there was not a tree or a dog or a horse in it. It was all a bunch of stuff I could not imagine, did not care about. Wasn't it Robert Heinlein who was giving writing advice? One time he was like, if you're going to write a book and you basically have a rabbit and it acts like a rabbit and looks like a rabbit and hops like a rabbit, don't call it a flirp. Yeah, Just call it a rabbit. I think that's probably right. I think that was Heinlein. I think that's Heinlein. <laughs> um so, so there uh, we got like a minute or so left, maybe a couple yeah. of just other quick kind of kind of ideas. And again, speed round, speed round. The you know the the goal is not to build a cre- a complete world. The goal is is how do I communicate it? So, so I think there's a, a very closely related problem, which is the risk of just info dump. Now, first of all, if you haven't created all the info, you're a lot less tempted to dump it. Okay. Well, yeah, that's a good way to say it. So, uh, so that's a that's. A, Point one. Uh, point two. I think. A, I think you're looking for ways other than exposition. Um, what I love is argument. If people disagree about, you know, they do in the real world. They disagree about the politics or about the religion or about magic or whatever. I disagree. Have them have one of them correct the other one, and then you uh, no, but and and you end up with tension. Tension is in any scene is the basic thing that creates interest. Um, and basically double world building because you now have two point of view. You have more than building. one point of view. Yeah. Um, and then maybe one last, here's one last trick. If you have to, if you have world built something and you you just must show it because it's so important to your story. I, I do like, there's a trick I like called the Pope in the pool. Uh, which, <laughs> yes, called the Pope in the pool. Um, and that come the name comes from Godfather 3. In Godfather 3, there's this long scene where the characters are talking and explaining the uh, how Vatican finance works. And that's super boring. Yeah. So they put the scene in the in the Vatican swimming pool. So you're watching the Pope go around in the pool and you're like the whole time you're thinking the Pope is in the swimming pool. And like you're distracted from the fact that you are being given exposition. A masterclass example of that is if you look at the uh, the movie The Big Short. Okay. The whole thing, one scene after the other, is the Pope in the pool. Here's Margot Robbie in the bathtub to explain CDOs to you. Uh, the, the group of characters is trying to learn about the fact that people who are uncredit worthy have mortgages. Who do they hear it from? A stripper. She's on the pole telling them. She's dancing. He's like, can you just stop dancing? No, the, the bouncer is looking. I got to keep dancing. Okay, wait. You own how many properties? And she's explaining how she's over leveraged, which is not fundamentally an accessible conversation. So you're being distracted by the fact that this guy like is trying not to get a lap dance, right? Uh, from the details of uh, of of you know the mortgage bubble. Well, and you know there's there's a little bit of that in the show The Wire too, right? Where where Idris Elba's character is, is is trying to explain economics to his drug dealers. Oh yeah, right. You know, he's talking about price. He's talking about product and price elasticity. Right. Oh yeah. So 
that's an elastic demand curve. And the <laughs> and the little gangbangers are all and they did that the same another episode with Robert's Rules of Order uh-huh. for he's like, You're taking meeting you're taking notes for the meeting <laughs> of our illicit drug enterprise. <laughs> illicit drug enterprise. That's that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, no, those are some good tips, Dave. I think that was that's some really good stuff. Yeah, and I, I hope, I hope what everyone's hearing out, what all of our listeners are hearing out there is that, man, there are, there are so many ways, there are so many ways to tackle the idea of, of constructing a, a believable world. Um, however, and, and and to get to the point of of what we talked about right at the very beginning, and that's the idea that, of what Dave brought up of world telling. Dave, pretty much everything that he that he just um, that he just talked about was about how to tell a story within that world, you know. Because again, to, to I think to your earlier point, Dave, um, all, all of that world building doesn't mean anything unless you unless you can tell a functional story with it, right? Yep. So, all right, well, Dave, thank you so much for coming back on the show with us. We appreciate it. Thank um, you. And so, uh, you know what? But we're not done. We're going to come back. Uh, Dave has a whole other, basically, uh, career profile skill set, you know, uh, from, you know, in, in terms of acquisitions and, and editing and things of that nature. So I think, everyone, just uh, just once again, imagine that giant, giant uh, to-be-continued sign coming up on the screen. And at some point here in the future... We're going to come back again, and Dave's going to talk to us about that whole side of things because it's very different. All right. Well, once again, this is the Writer Dojo. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. In the year 12, Sir Mordley Crumblebum and his paladins destroyed the temple.